Right at the Fork is supported by Portland Food and Drink.com, Portland's original restaurant review and news blog, presented by Food Dude, your source for everything you need to know in the Portland food and beverage world. Check in today at PortlandFoodAndDrink.com and by Chew Dining Club. Chew is about connecting passionate chefs with passionate food lovers. The Chew mobile app provides a way for you to access a community of food lovers, chefs, and special events in our unique food community. Download the app today on iTunes or Google Play. Do you love oysters or are you adventuresome enough to want to get the full oyster experience? Join Chris at his Portland Food Adventures event at Olympia Oyster Bar June 6th with chefs Melissa Mayer and Mylene Chavez. You know, from episode 79 on Right at the Fork. The dinner includes multiple presentations of oysters, drinks, wine, and tip, plus gift certificates to Castagna Cafe, the much-written-about Pesce, and Kathy Wim's Hamlet to go try on your own. All for the price of one ticket. Check it out online, portlandfoodadventures.com or at Brown Paper Tickets. Just search for Olympia Oyster Bar. Portland's best value in dining events, it's Portland Food Adventures. On today's episode of Right of the Fork, Chris, uh, we're talking about farmers markets and kind of getting into some of the some of the dirty, dirty of farmers markets. Yeah, no pun intended. Yeah, I'm Court Johnson, by the way, Chris Angeles from Portland Food Adventures, and uh, let's quickly talk about your trips that are happening late summer uh, because people need to hop on this while there's actually space available. I, yes, I appreciate it. And by the way, there are more people listening to this podcast now. Who oh yeah, can hear about these trips. We had a, an incredible. March and right into uh, April. Mm-hmm. Um, really excited about almost doubling our listeners over last year. Yeah. So, but uh, Portland Food Adventures, yes, we have some exciting trips. And I like to view this. I like to, uh, I, this is a public service announcement as far as I'm concerned. One right. of the most fun things you can do in Portland food is go with chefs like Aaron Barnett and Jose Chesa to their either their native lands or the lands of their cuisine to Spain and to Lyon. Leon, France. Old sta- your old stomping ground. Yeah, I spent some time there. Yeah, so uh, and so everybody can spend a little time there. It's pretty cool. I won't take more of everyone's time by explaining it, but great trips. I would, and I would assume that probably as part of this is you're in this, cause, and we talk about this a little bit, in these cities where you're going to be staying. I know Leon had one, a really great one, is, uh, these markets, these farmer's markets. Yes, that's the, that was originally what Aaron Barnett had in mind, yeah. was he just wanted to go, take everybody to the markets and tool around. And, of course, we spent... A lot of time at the Boqueria mm-hmm. in Barcelona, and we'll be doing that again yeah. with Jose. So you, you on these trips, you'd go and see these like these farmers markets or these markets that have been going on for literally centuries. They've been happening in one form or another. Right. And then to know, as we're going to find out in today's uh, right, right at the Fork, is Boy, that you're good at segues. People, oh, thank you, thank you. That's <laughs> what I get paid to do. People uh, are from these places that have been doing it for that long are still looking at a relatively new newcomer. Portland and the Portland Farmer's Market. Right, because and how of, it's done and yeah. how it's caught on and basically how it's affected the culture here completely. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. not These are not just entities, right. the, all the farmer's markets. They are part of the whole, the Northwest experience. Right. And people want, and people want to know about it. Yep. So they call Trudy Tolliver, our guest, um, who's heads up the Portland Farmer's Market, which includes seven markets. Mm-hmm. And um, 
It's a good time to be talking about it, too. It's springtime. Yeah. That's a good time of year to get out there. New stuff going on. I spent a little time with the cookbook this weekend. What'd you fix? Oh, I didn't fix anything. I just read it. See, I'm... Start. I, I live uh, by myself. It's me and my dog. So I just... I have all these wonderful cookbooks. As a matter of fact, I posted on Instagram. I moved all my cookbooks from the den downstairs to upstairs in the kitchen. That's a good place where, for them. Right. So they were more accessible. So I would be more apt to pick them up and actually cook. But I don't do a lot of complicated cooking for myself than to clean up. I, just, I, I get that. I kind of save my good eating for coming into Portland and mm-hmm. doing like what I did last night at Superbite, which was just incredible. Greg and Gabby Denton's new place. Oh, got we're, it. We're yeah, group, group. I'm going to their uh, book talk. Oh, they're having a at book Powell's talk. Powell's, they're doing. See, a that's little... the difference between the two of us. You're doing a book talk. I ate like crazy. So <laughs> either, to you know, I gotta, I gotta see how, it, how it's supposed to happen. I've never done a book talk before, and I gotta do one on this. So I'm gonna go check out. Oh, you have to do one. Oh, so are they doing their scheduled. book yeah. at the same time? No, no, no. Um, ours is June first. Right. And then we've got several other scheduled at different bookstores around the state. Okay, but what's so? What's the book talk that you're? Well, every time you have, you know, like a, you do a book tour. You know, authors right. do book tours. Right. It's basically you go to a book tour, you go to a bookstore, you talk about the book, you get people excited to buy it. Yeah. When's the Today Show? That's always been my exposure. <laughs> I think we'll do maybe um, what's the Pacific Northwest show? AM Northwest. AM yeah. Northwest. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure Coin and, and KGW would have something we, to we say. We haven't about got that, that scheduled yet. I actually got to get that on my media people's list. <laughs> and, and then Kink, too, right? Sure. Well, it's hard to talk. A lot of times, if you do the TV, they'll want you to prepare something, right? And you, you anticipate that. It's harder on radio to like do a food segment when you know when you're talking about preparation and you right. can't see anything. See, it's got to be really descriptive. We talk a lot lot about food shows on radio. Well, there's this too. We've been doing this without cooking. I'm saying, but when you're talking about a, a, when you're talking about a cookbook on the TV, they want you to make something from it. They want a demonstration. It's harder to do that on the radio. That's why Trudy asked me if I made anything. But you know, I went so far as to, as to dog ear a couple of recipes that I like. Got it, Chris. (laughs) So, uh, but it's pretty cool. But we'll talk. We'll talk about the cookbook, and it's it's very cool because it. We're going to do that kind of separately, right? We're going to do this other. Series. Well, we can talk. We can talk in both a little bit about it, but edit um, it to however you want it to show. But we're really excited to have you on because what you do is really at the heart of this Portland food world. It's like we should have you on here because I we think you're right. Court, how many times have we mentioned? How many times have chefs mentioned the that they were inspired? By all the Portland farmers, market. yeah, all the time, and if and oftentimes if you follow them on on Twitter or on Facebook, they're they're down there every weekend, yeah. figuring out what they're going to be putting on their menu this week. Right. So I like I know Nick Zukin is is constantly in search for his quesadilla uh, menu, and that's where right. he, he goes to the farmers market. Jason Frentz's whole story about why he came here—you've probably heard that. Yep. Yeah. Well, he was on the podcast. We have to reference that somewhere. He's, but he talked about it, and I met him actually. When I started uh, Portland Food Adventures, he said, meet me at the farmer's market. And so we met there, and he was running around. And, um, yeah, his bicycle? I, think about it. I don't think he had his bicycle. He had his, his mm-hmm. at the time, his, his wife and young child. So this was six years ago. Um, but, no, there might be a picture. There is a picture of him in the book. I think it's there right is. in the beginning. It's yeah, really I good. Think so. It's a great picture of Jason. And his recipe. There he is. I don't remember which one I earmarked here, but his recipe is really good, too. 
but at any rate, so they, the, and I actually, if you Google it, I meant to send this to you before we met, but if you Google it, I did a little pictorial of the um, farmer's market in my favorite places about three or four years ago in About Face magazine. So it was a little feature. And I think I believe that's when the column was called Right at the Fork. That's where we got this from. Oh, yeah. I had no idea. You didn't know the column no, was the, called Right at the no, Fork? No, no, no. I knew you did that, and then you did this. And... Right. But no, that was when it came time to name this wow. podcast. It was like, well, this makes sense. That's a great and, name. Yeah, I think, it, I think it works. So anyway, if you Googled uh, About, About Face, Face magazine and my name and then maybe look for Portland Farmer's Market, you'd see some, I think there was Cure Juice, I yep. remember, yep. and then uh, the Hurt. Hurtels from Sun Gold. Hurdles. Hurdles. Uh-huh. Hurdles. See, mm-hmm. when Vicky you don't and, say it. Vicky and Charlie Hurdle. So they've been there for a while, right? Oh, yeah. I think since the beginning. In fact, I think Vicky Hurdle tells a great story about getting a call on a Thursday or something and say, can you bring veggies downtown on this Saturday in 1992 to start this farmer's market? And she said, I don't know. I've never driven a truck in downtown Portland. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but she did it. And they've done it every day, every Saturday since. That's a, So that would be 24 years. We're having our 25th season. We're in our 25th You're, season right now. Wow. And how long have you been with it? I started in January 2011. So I'm going to my sixth season. Okay. And so what did you do differently than your predecessor? What happened in 2011 that wasn't happening before? Uh, we opened... Uh, we got prepared to open the winter market. So in 2012, we opened a winter market. We opened another market in the Kenton neighborhood in 2012 also. So it took me a little while to kind of, you know, get Was that your vision? Did you, like, walk in and say, hey, get ready, we're going to be doing more? No, actually, if anything, my vision was to help start a charitable organization, which we've also done. I figured that yeah. because looking at your bio, everything you've done is for basically not for yourself. It's for the good of the community. <laughs> <laughs> no, if you go down, I mean, so let me see you. Well, you work for TriMet, which is for the good of the community, right? Thank you, yes. I, I humbly admit I really couldn't get anywhere on any mass transit in Portland. I don't do it. So, Well, I don't work there anymore, so I can't help you. <laughs> yeah, no, but I'm just saying for the good of the community, I just get pissed off that there was actually a self-employment tax that I have to pay. That is correct. The TriMet tax, which, by the way, just a little rant. I moved here, and there was nobody that there was no mailing that ever prompted me that I had to look for this tax. So five it. years went by, yeah, and then they send me a letter. You're five years in arrears, and here's your penalty. And mm-hmm. I'm like, you guys, if you didn't send me anything in the first year, why am I liable right. for all of this? I'll like the arts the- tax, you get a lot of reminders about that new arts. Yes, tax. that one you do, and that's only thirty five bucks. But the TriMet tax was a lot higher, so I ended up owing a lot. So anyway, that's TriMet. I have I have no bitches with the Portland Farmers Market. Yes, I do. I have one. What's that? I can't take my dog. There and are many other markets that, that you can take I your knew dog you'd have to. An answer Just for that. not PSU. <laughs> We're thinking about banning strollers too, but I don't know how oh, you think that would if go. If you're going to do dogs, you, you should do strollers. Joking, just joking, everyone. <laughs> no worries. Wow. Your kids are welcome. <laughs> so, uh, and that's important that that families are absolutely, absolutely. A, We're growing a whole new generation of healthy eaters. Yes, that people that actually think about what they're eating. I actually read a something recently that um, it's no longer about fat, and it's about knowing where your food comes, comes from. from. That yeah. is the new. That is. my favorite saying is that I do not buy my food from strangers, and you don't have to either. Come to the farmers market, get to know who grows your food, 
live a healthy life. Or at least get a start. You know, you can still go to a market, a grocery store. And, and but, you know, you're not going to know everybody there. You're not going to know who's growing your food at a grocery store. No, I know. Well, you, you, you might, might have, have an awesome representative who can talk about what he or she knows about the farms. Right. But you go to a farmer's market and the real deal is right there in front of you. I agree. The only, for a lot of people, the, the idea of, of uh, procuring all their food at the farmer's market is a stretch. So what I was trying to do is say just start at yeah. least. Uh, so tell me what you think you could not get at a farmer's market, other than pantry items. I mean, you know, not a lot of processed grains, though we do have some. Right. You're not going to get a lot of oil, olive oil, although we do have some. What, 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 what are you going to eat regularly as a main part of your meal that you cannot get at a farmer's market? Oreos. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet you you can probably find something you similar find? to by it. The way, Such I, as? I, by the way, this is, I'm well, sorry, I'm, go I'm, ahead. I don't know. I'm, Ruby I'm, Jewel ice cream sandwiches? Oh, right. So you could do that. Yeah. And then I, you have quite a few bake, bakeries there Delicious. that have some incredible things. And by the way, I was just joking because I really have try, done this year a lot to get that stuff out of my diet. So I'm okay. really much more geared towards what you're doing and my son, my oldest son, uh, every Saturday he's down at, at PSU. Um, stocking up. Stocking up. I just had the fr- he this morning. Um, I just came into town last night, and he gave me some of the first strawberries he bought the other day. They weren't hood strawberries. No, know. not yet. Hoods don't come to, until June or so. All right. Those are probably Albion's. They have a long season. All right. Hmm. They, weren't, they weren't quite as good. Court, tell me about your favorite favorite eating. What do, what, are, what are you when it comes to food? Well, with <laughs> me, with me, my wife and and our kids, our schedule is so crazy that like we've tried to do a farmers market like. Regularly, but mm-hmm. but it's it gets difficult because you know there there is something to be said about the convenience of stopping by the new seasons or the Whole Foods and just. How about on Wednesdays stuff. or Mondays in the summer? Well, he's in Beaverton too. Oh, so okay. I'm out of yeah. No, I'm you're out, in that area. I'm out in Southwest. Southwest, okay. right? You don't so, want people to know exactly where you live. You're... My address is. One... <laughs> <laughs> I bet you could find a market that for no, you or your wife might fit in, and then when you do your meal planning, you can supplement those plans with. Yeah, in fact, my my wife, stuff. the the times we've made it to it, I always enjoy watching my wife because she's just like her face just lights up, and she's finding all this this new food or stuff you forget about that's available, and then then that's actually when meals really get creative and fun mm-hmm. because you're not having just the same old same old. So. How old are your kids? I've got a ten year old and an eight year old. That's they could be cooking with you guys. Yeah, but we have that. kids cooking classes for kids seven to eleven, so you could maybe sign them up for that. That would get you downtown on a Saturday morning. Yeah. Can I say? Can I say something that's probably going to piss a lot of people off? I think if people spent a lot more time cooking with their kids, because that's something that they're going to do for their entire lives, and less time playing soccer and less time doing act, quote unquote activities, they'd be much better off. And healthier, I would mm-hmm. imagine. You're talking you know, about the eight hours of dance that my daughters do every single day? I didn't mention day? the dance. I did not. <laughs> I purposely danced, o- o- you danced around, around that. Yeah, I, I would add financial management to that as well. We're going to manage our money for the rest of our lives, too. I know that has nothing to do with food, but those are two things. Well, that has Cooking and financial management that I don't think kids growing up today know as nearly enough about as they, they'll need to for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Well, you know, when I grew up, first of all, it was a very different time in terms of athletics and sports. But- um, when I was a father, and I still am, but when I was a father of younger children and was in the mode, they weren't. My kids weren't really that athletic. And what I watched when we, when we, when I did force them into doing sports before I realized that wasn't a good idea, we barely ate anything healthy, and we were always on the run. So we were stopping at Subway in those days. 
I lived in Connecticut. I wasn't aware of all this stuff at the time. Eating in the car. Yeah, eating in the car, rushing. And I really, and then they stopped doing it. And I realized then we started actually eating meals at home together. And nice. I thought, this is way better than sitting at a field. And by the way, my kids weren't really having a great time. They were forced <laughs> into it. But I think of people, I think there's too much planned activities after school now. And so no one's really eating mm-hmm. together. I grew up in a household where my mom fixed dinner for our family every night. And, oh, I do that same and thing. And there was no farmer's market then? For no, her. it wasn't really about that so much. It was actually we had two family members that had um, small farms, and so she did get a lot of food from them. Um, but it was just more about having family time together and having you know those evenings to sit around the table and talk. And there's a lot more to enjoying a meal together for a healthy family than just the food. It's that whole engagement with your kids. I mean, you think yeah. about it, Court, those times you really enjoy your daughter oh, yeah. when she's not dancing. Right. <laughs> you know, my, my eight-year-old, there's there's nothing she loves more than helping me make dinner because I, I make the dinners in the house because I'm home earlier than my wife. And so she loves to get in there and, and chop stuff and add stuff to the pot. Yeah. yeah. So, but, you know, but going back to like when we were growing up, like my dad always had a huge garden in the back backyard. And so we half the year we fed ourselves because there were eight kids. From from the garden. That's great. But it was very similar. Like, but he had so much stuff left over. He was giving it to the neighbors, and I just remember him when people would ask, you know, what certain things were. He'd tell them what it was, and then also explain to them, "Here's what you can make with it." And you get that at you is get that at a farmer's market. Yes, you do. Is he still around? Yeah, he is. Yeah. Hmm. yeah, it doesn't he does he's not gardening. Actually, he is gardening now. Yeah, he's back to gardening. So. Cool. Yeah, how could you get out of it once you get into it? Well, he think- for a while he lived in a place where he lived in the mountains, so oh. nothing. Nothing but pine trees grew there. We had so much property growing up, and we didn't. There was a didn't. little garden in the back, but it was never used for food. It was, it was all oh. pretty flowers. I had I had eight acres acres of corn. It was a big chunk of it, and I had I would come home from school or football practice, and I would have to weed. Oh, I for oh, a good forget hour. Forget that the weeding and the lawn mowing. <laughs> that, that was so he was insane. doing organic practices. It sounds yeah, we like didn't, we didn't do no, we didn't. Very few uh, anything chemical. Yeah. So no. I mean, our, our, we had the apples. We had the apple tree with the worms, but you could find enough apples in there, and you'd be fine. We just had crab apples that I had to step on and slide all over and move out of the way to mow the lawn. Yeah. That was really what I remember. But Trudy, you were talking about eating meals at home. Yeah. What do you remember most uh, about your family meals? What were what kind of what were some of your favorite dishes? Oh, I know what, for what sure. One my brother and I still talk about. Um, my aunt, who lived out by Oregon City, and they had some property, and they grew a lot of different food, including some pear trees. She would put up, as they said, my my grandmother and my aunt and my mom would put up or otherwise can or jar pears every fall. And so by the time winter and early spring came, we would have these fresh canned pears with cottage cheese. Oh, nice. You know, if you didn't, if people who either have just moved here or are listening to this podcast who don't live in Oregon, they don't understand. Maybe they bought something from Harry and David, right? Yeah, yeah. But they don't understand what those pears are really like. When you talk about pears on the East Coast, it's like a pear. Here, it's this religious experience. Uh It it really is. It (laughs) truly is. She would also um, can green beans. Mm -hmm. So we'd have delicious green beans. They made blackberry wine, which my dad always said, oh, I don't know, that stuff's a little too strong. (laughs) Um, So things like that. I mean, she would use a lot of what my family canned. Um, She fixed a variety of traditional dishes. You know, it was the 60s, so I can't say that anything was um, particularly... There Fresh was a lot delicious. that was processed. Exactly. Back then. That's I mean, my we point. Grew, yeah. our generation grew up 
you know, so we're the we're now at the point of we have good things like the farmers markets and mm-hmm. all these wonderful chefs showing us. But what to do? We have to be weaned. It's it's a change in mindset for yeah. those people in our generation. Because I think we're coming around too. I mean, we. Oh, have, I definitely you know, think, but it's not. It doesn't just happen like that. True. It takes. Yeah. It takes a changing mindset, and you mm-hmm. have to experience it and mm-hmm. go to farmers markets and think this is wonderful. I really like and start the to feeling. see the benefits too. I mean, when people start to see how much better food tastes when it comes from the farmers market, it's so much fresher, crisper, both in you know texture and flavoring. My husband um, is from California. He's been here twenty some years though now, and. It's delightful to me when he'll like even just bite into a piece of celery and say, wow, that tastes like real celery. That tastes so different than when I was growing up, but it just tastes like crunchy water. Mm-hmm. So when people start to realize that, they think, wow, there's really something to this. It's going to make me feel better. My kids are going to be healthier and happier. I'm going to live longer. But there's, a, but there's also it's an experience of the, uh, the experience of eating is different when you know where it's coming from and someone just handed it to you and, or you've been to the farm. Mm-hmm. Or I was just at um, Vino in Manzanita um, this week and just had a salad, which, by the way, is something I never used to do, just go in and order, <laughs> just order a salad. <laughs> and it was so... What kind of a man are you, Chris? And <laughs> a healthy, healthier one. No, I am getting a little... But you remember Court Jeff from Kingfisher Farms. Yeah. We had him on the podcast. And they said, well, these are the first, the early greens from early spring greens mm-hmm. are really super flavorful and they didn't need to tell me that i knew that and so that's a different that's different than just eating a salad yeah yeah you know yeah it's not it's not it uh, iceberg lettuce anymore right but it's a different experience it's like i'm eating it i know i've met this sh- i've met the farmer i know him i've been to the farm i understand well actually i haven't been to kingfisher but i've been to a number of farms mm-hmm. um so it's it's very cool and that um how You've been going to the Portland Farmers Market longer than you've been working there. Oh, absolutely. So what would I moved here in 05. What was it like in 2000? Actually, at the Portland State Farmers Market, I have no idea. I was not going there then. I've lived in the Hollywood district most of my life. Right. So I went to the Hollywood Market. It was my neighborhood market. And mm. I suggest that for people. They don't have to go downtown if that doesn't work for them. A lot of people it does work beautifully for. I want people to go to the market in their neighborhood. So I went to the Hollywood Farmers Market, and frankly, I don't think it's changed all that much. I would take my $20 bill and I would spend it and sometimes a little more and go home with some delicious stuff. Listen to the music. That's what I love about markets, that it's really more than just a shopping experience. You can hang out with family and friends. You can learn something, listen to some great music, have brunch or breakfast or whatever. It Trip over be. strollers. I'm sorry. I had to do that. <laughs> <laughs> um but that it is a great experience, and it's one of the things that when um, people, uh, tourists come to Portland, and people, anybody's visiting, mm-hmm. I always, I have a few mm-hmm. restaurants that are in mind, that but I suggest, always say yeah. if you happen to be here on a, you have to be here on a Saturday morning so you can go to that market or find yeah, another, but yeah. that one in particular. And even for tourists, if they want to pick up some cheese and bread or fruit, there's plenty of things that, you know, are not leafy greens that a tourist could purchase and enjoy for a snack or brunch or something. Right. So do you get, uh, Portland is now uh, one of the farmer's markets that is being noticed all over the world. Oh, yeah. We're frequently ranked top 10, but that's been going on for about 10 years. Right. Top 10 in the nation and top 10 in the world sometimes. Mm. Have you been to others that impress you more? You know, 
necessarily. Um, I was down at Ferry Plaza recently in San Francisco. The quality of the fruits and vegetables in California are impressive just because they have such a wide variety. But I think that one of the things that really brings Portland State University Market to the top of the heap is the setting. That, you know, we don't allow any vehicles in. You can't really hear the noise and craziness of the city. We're surrounded by these beautiful giant trees. Um, it's very pedestrian-oriented. It's very people-focused. There's something about the setting as well as the incredible amount of delicious food. You know what I like about it is when you park, because as I said, I park. I don't train it in or anything. <laughs> but you park over on Broadway, a couple of blocks away, and walking in and seeing everybody with their organic carriers, whatever they happen to have, right? They're not carrying plastic paper. Well, some well, cloth bags, like my well, Portland Farmer's right, Market tote bags. Or, or baskets. Mm-hmm. That's one woven. of the that's one of the best parts of the experience is just seeing people with their bounty for yeah. the week. Or this the, photograph in our cookbook of Jason French with his bicycle trailer behind him, right. bursting with flowers and carrot tops and just gorgeous. Yeah, and it's conducive to that bicycle. Perfect. Right? You wouldn't take that. Actually, you wouldn't take that bicycle the Safeway. No, no. He does. I think that trailer is designed. Maybe once he's for his got, children. I think but he's got it licensed or something. I it's don't know. designed for shopping at the farmers market. Have you ever been to Clever Cycles with all the things they have over I there? Oh it my out, God! No? They got carry. They got bikes with baskets and carriers, and you can take for anything. every purpose. For every purpose, it's really cool. I like that over on Hawthorne. Um, so, do people call from around the world? Do they come here to visit Absolutely. to observe? And do you? As uh, an employee, take the time. Is it your job to be the ambassador? Is as that something you do separately on your own? I am the ambassador as often as possible. I've had everyone from Senator Wyden to Japanese uh, journalists, French journalists. The mayor of Copenhagen was one of my guests one time. That oh, was great. Yeah. That's interesting because I was just watching a show on, I can't remember what it was. I was on the bicycling. Uh, oh, it was Real Sports, and they did a really great segment on how commuting by bike. And so they were over in Copenhagen, and they had the mayors of, oh, not the mayors, but representatives from Seattle and San Francisco there. So now <laughs> they're coming. Yeah, we're going there to look yeah. at biking, and they're coming here to look at farm, farmers markets. Yeah. So what what do they what do they what sh- surprises them the most? And it's probably there isn't a. I, I don't mean to. Uh, I don't, I don't really know how to ask this, but it's not tough for them to figure it out. It's not like you have to build a huge infrastructure to build a beautiful market. Well, well okay. That's, yeah, why, I mean, that's why I said this yeah, is tough to this ask. This is a so. good question. I'm glad I brought up um, the woman from Copenhagen because their primary question of me was, how can we replicate this in our, right, in our town? And it was, that was a few years ago. And it was really at that time that I came to a bigger understanding about why the Portland Farmer's Market works. It has to do with, I think it's like three or four ingredients, geography, geology. The Willamette Valley has some of the deepest, richest soils in the world from thousands of years of glacial um, dams breaking, flooding, and then receding. And then a thousand years later, flooding and receding. So we've got the soil. We've got the climate. We've got mild enough climate that you can grow year-round. Don't tell everybody that. I used this is to a tell local everybody. Show, right? I, I, no, I, no. When we reach actually all over the world, it's really interesting to look at the map of people who listen to this. Hmm. I wonder. It's like Afghanistan. You know, we had 
ten listeners. But um, I, now I lost my train of thought. Where were you? I was talking about the climate. Oh, the climate! Right, right, right. So, I I used to harp. I used to say good things about it. Now I'm now I'm a Portlander. Oh yeah, it rains all I don't the time. Don't want to tell anybody. It's yeah, cold it's and dreary. Like today, yeah. it's cold and dreary. And, and we have the, We need to do that. Because Which is great weather for now. growing food. Yeah. Let's just put it that way. It's great weather for trees. It's great weather for growing food. Um, the two other ingredients are that we have. Just because we have um, a pretty narrow uh, agricultural valley, at least in the Willamette, the Willamette Valley, um, it's not really conducive to commercial-sized farms. Out in eastern Oregon, we do have a lot of bigger farms, and that works for them. But close into our urban areas, most of the farms are small family farms, and therefore they're mostly growing food crops that you and I would eat every day, not things that would become commodities. Right. So that's the third ingredient. I- the fourth is having a population here in the Northwest who care about their health, who care about the outdoors, and who now more and more care about investing locally. So people are buying their food locally because they know they're supporting that farmer who lives down outside of Eugene or wherever it might be. So what do you think came first, the, the oh, come on. produce or the caring? The, 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 what is the question? Well, what, came, what caused did, did the... All the abundance of wonderfulness that we have here caused the caring, or did the caring, did it go the other way around? I think the abund- abundance of wonderfulness. That's started. what I. That's yeah. What I would well, I mean, the geol- The obvious question is the the geology. Yeah, well, that first. started first, <laughs> but you have to plant. You have to have seeds right, and right, plant right. them and do all. So, the, so the somebody noticed, you know, the awesomeness of the soil. They started planting and growing, and then you look around and go, oh, "Well, let me taste that." And then the population of outdoor enthusiasts and people who care about. And I, and I would imagine knowledge of agriculture and seeds and how, you know, something I haven't really given a lot of thought to. You mm-hmm. go and buy something and it's at that stage. If you're not in agriculture and you're not a farmer, you're not yeah. thinking about what it took to get it there. Right, right, right. What I find interesting about this is where you have, like, you have foreign cities that are looking to Portland as an example. Despite the fact that I always like to think of Europe as the place where, you know, history comes from. They, they've been doing <laughs> these type of outdoor markets Mm-hmm. On a weekly basis for centuries, right? You know, and, and and Portland relatively small on the history scale, but like people are looking to to Portland as the right. example. And it's just the, it's the food mecca, though, too. It's yeah. the, it's the opportunity here for not only what we're growing, but what people are doing with it. I mean, we've got about two hundred and fifty vendors that we support in our whole system of seven markets, and about sixty so sixty or so percent of those are farmers, but the rest are food artisans who are taking what those growers are offering them and turning them into delicious, incredible delights. Mm-hmm. And, and they're putting so much heart and thought into everything they do. Right. And we've had quite a few of them on the show. Mm-hmm. And it's um, it's like nothing else. And, uh, for instance, Damien, Be Local, his, mm-hmm. his mm-hmm. product is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Sarah and Alma. I mean, there are so many. So to just point those out. Those are folks we kind of know that have been here. Yeah, yeah. Um, They do some incredible things. How are the farmers doing? How is is the economy for farmers now? I don't really know, to be honest with you. But they don't don't tell you? I mean, how much, uh, what percentage of of their livelihoods are made at the farmer's markets? Don't know. We do care about the health of those businesses, and that's kind of our purpose. We're a business association. We're not a charitable organization. And our whole goal is to set up a beautiful marketplace that's attractive for a lot of people to come and visit and for shoppers to be there and to spend money with our, with our, our farmers. That's kind of our purpose is for them to be successful. But we don't require them to report their numbers to us. 
What I do know is that they come back year after year. Yeah, I was gonna say that's they, that's the proof right there is that they keep they keep coming back. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and then they really appreciate what we do. I think we have a really good reputation among our farmers and vendors for being a well-organized market, for, for doing what we say. We're, we're really high on integrity. We want to make sure that everything that's sold in that market is grown by that farmer. And so you've watched a few graduate. Too, Many. Who Not so there? much on the farmer side, more no, on, no, the on the food artisan side. On the food artisan side. We've had yeah. 50 or more um, uh, small food businesses grow up. In the farmer's market, I guess, one way of saying it. And some keep a tentacle there. Me, most, I should say. They most do. keep a tentacle. Uh, Olympia Provisions, for example. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure the farmer's market, from what Eli and Michelle have told me, have a big impact on the growth of their business. It's still a pretty healthy chunk of their income. Their gross income comes hmm. from their sales at the farmer's markets. Not just ours, but all the markets in the they're region. They're out in Cannon Beach, too. I've seen them out there. Are they? Yeah, really? they're yeah. everywhere. I think somebody's mom their lives mom. out there yeah, or something. Yeah, she does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she's just great. She's yeah. fantastic. I just happened upon it one day, and there mm-hmm. she was. Do you want? Do you know this? Do you want some of this? I said, of course. Uh, give me some. Give me a few slices. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Verde Cucina is another chain that's a restaurant where they have three, re- two or three restaurants now. Mm-hmm. They always have the longest line, along with Pine State Biscuit, actually. And you know, you can get in. They, we go to the one in Hillsdale uh-huh. all the time. You can get in there yeah. pretty easily. So if there's a long line at the farmer's market, support them elsewhere because right. that is some of the healthiest, best food you can have anywhere in portland just know it's simple it's not it's not complicated preparation but it's just beautiful it is it's true and the other thing i love about noe and anna garnica the owners of friday cochina is that they source a large percentage of their food from farmers at our markets so you'll see them in the morning hooking up with the denoble family for example to get carrots and leeks and cauliflower whatever it is and Noe has become known among our farmers by for being a restaurant owner who, and a market vendor who the farmers can trust. They know he's a reliable buyer. A lot of our restaurant owners are, but it's particularly sweet to see that market vendor to market vendor relationship. Do you know, because we wanted to talk a little bit about some of the backstories of some of your favorite vendors there, <laughs> but what is their backstory? Uh, Noah and um, he and his brothers came to Portland. I'm not exactly sure when I know they came from California and they started at the market. Their first season was 2011. I'm pretty sure. Oh, that's for that's recent. Very recent. Yeah. And about, you know, two and a half years later, they opened in Hillsdale first and then they opened another restaurant in the Pearl and they've got three small kids. They're a busy family, but they're making it work. Yeah. They're one of my favorite spots. So what are some of your other favorites? down there oh one of my current let me disclaim this for you you can't mention all of them thank you all of them are your favorites because they're there exactly right so they they all get a trophy for participating that's for sure and whenever i choose to go to a restaurant i think oh which of our vendors restaurants have i not been to recently right okay so so a current favorite soul kitchen in the hollywood area right Mm -hmm. next to the hollywood theater uh, Pono Family Farm they're based in Bend area central oregon they grow a lot of their own meat they have connections with fisheries, and then they shop for veggies at the markets. But they're not at the markets. I was, I was. They at, are. My, they they're are at, at the, PSU every Saturdays. Oh, oh my they gosh, are. their Cubano sandwich is to die for. Okay, I haven't been there in a while. I just copped to that. And they've only been there. This is their third season, I think. Okay. So yeah. So if you're used to going to your favorite places, shake it up. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I actually was lucky enough to live out in Manzanita and have the Manzanita Farmer's Market open out my back door. 
literally awesome. there. So I love that. But then I moved away from there, um, a little further away. But that was a really cool experience. Mm-hmm. So when I shake it up when I'm here, <laughs> I, I, I try to go. What are your, some of your um, favorite rags to riches stories? from from? Because I know a lot of these folks start at the Portland Farmer's Market without a dime, just with an idea. Yeah. And, and you know, having cooked at home and made something great. And all of a sudden, okay, it's time to go to market. Uh, Heidi Ho. Do you know who they were? No. Are Heidi Ho does a um, vegan cheeses, vegan spreads. Mm-hmm. They're mostly nut-based and veggie-based. And she graduated herself. She A couple of years ago, she was on Shark Tank, and she got a, uh, got a shark to work with her. And she's grown herself right out of the market. She started there, and about five years later, graduate. Huh. Yeah. So she's in, still uh, oh, based yeah. out of Portland. Yeah, she's totally is still here. She's in Whole Foods and New Seasons and various other I, grocery I stores. I know I've heard it, but I don't heard of it. What, who, do you know offhand who her shark was? I'm just curious. Yeah, Lori Grenier. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Do you watch yeah. Shark Tank at all? Every now and then. Yeah, well, since not, I can cut the cord, I find myself on shows like that more yeah. often because you just it just keeps rolling. You so can you, tape it, yeah. yeah. Well, not, you, just, you just start <laughs> watching it and it goes to the next episode all of a sudden. Um, so who else? There are very few um, of our vendors who have graduated themselves out of the market. Most of them prefer to stay in. Um, Ancient Heritage Dairy is another very exciting one. Um, Paul and his son, Paul Obringer and his son, have their farms needed to move around a little bit. Now they're, they're now an urban dairy in inner southeast Portland. Um, they're making incredible cheeses. Um, What's happened with them is while they have grown, they, had, they found an investor from being at the Portland Farmer's Market. Someone who fell in love with their cheeses, got to know them, and chose to invest in their company. So sort of like a, sh- a shark, so to, so to speak, but it's a local person who's helping them out and allowed them the capacity to move to Portland and, and expand here instead of in Madras or wherever else they've been. Um, so they're also selling in other stores and in maybe even in other states but they stay at the portland farmers market because it gives them an opportunity to sample new products to talk directly with shoppers have a network too of people in the industry exactly and to engage with people to to talk with them about what do you think of this cheese is it creamy enough is it rich enough is it sharp enough you know you get direct customer feedback when you're at a farmer's market. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing I just love about this whole industry is that direct sales experience that doesn't happen in, in a retail, otherwise retail environment. And it also is part of the, the Portland experience, too, that Very feedback, the, interact, the interaction between the producers and the cooks and the chefs. And um, We had Lisa from Ruby Jewel yeah. on, and she's still there, Yes, correct? Yes, she's and coming back this year. And uh, that's quite a success story. I don't know. I guess if someone just Googles right at the fork, Lisa Herlinger. Um, but that's a nice story to listen to. It yeah. mm-hmm. goes to, it's a little deeper yeah. into what we're talking about. Yeah. How yeah. She, she talks specifically about how she started there and had no clue. <laughs> or a little clue. No, she knew she had a good product. Yes. And then developed it with the feedback from everybody and went from there. And now she's yep. got how many thousand square feet that she's now producing and selling all over, I know the West, but probably further, yeah. if I recall. We do have a limitation um, in that we want to stay local. So we really do want to stay with uh, small businesses that are doing the startup kind of thing. And our rule is that when a business starts to sell in 10 or more states, 
we're going to ask them to, to step away let and let someone else come in. Exactly. Make space for the next guy. How hard is it for someone to get into the market? There's a not really a waiting list so much, but um, in certain categories like um, pastries right now, we have kind of a glut of, of bakeries. Where, on the other hand, we don't have enough regular sliced fresh bread. So if a bakery came, we'd say, oh, I'm sorry, we've got a lot of sweet breads and savory breads, but just regular sandwich bread, I'd be interested in someone you know, like that. Every year we bring in about... I've got a bread machine at my house, Kurt. We could <laughs> get in business together, huh? Yeah, no? Not bad. <laughs> is there something you do especially? Is it? I make a wicked white bread. A wicked... That's what everybody's <laughs> looking for now, I understand. Local grains? White. Local <laughs> grains, wicked white. Slap some peanut butter on it. <laughs> and you can get some local jelly. Right. Oh, lots of jams and jellies. Yeah. Pepperheads down there? Yeah, that? Rose City Pepperheads. Rose, I, yeah. love, I love They're going to be a great story to keep an eye on. Um, they were you know, just a value-added product, buying their peppers to make their jams, and now they're going into farming. They're going to start growing their own peppers. Oh, interesting. So that's really the opposite. Usually mm-hmm. it starts out with your farming, and then you go into f- to value-added. They're doing the opposite, which is really kind of fun. It'll be fun to watch to see how. They're just getting started on that. So. And they do a good job down there. They're one of the most fun to go by and taste. Sample. Sample. They got some yeah. great sampling. Yeah. What are some of the biggest challenges that you have? We don't have a lot more time. So yeah, some through. of the biggest challenges, um, keeping the markets curated with the right balance of everything you're going to need, everything you expect in a shopping experience, particularly for our smaller markets, the, the Kenton neighborhood market, the Northwest market. Um, Portland area is a little bit saturated with markets right now, but um, we're doing everything we can to continue to make them exciting experiences, plus with a nice variety of, of, of shopping experience. So you can fill your basket with a little bit of meat, a little bit of cheese, a little, enough veggies to enjoy the week. It's interesting to me to know that, that that mindset is actually there, that like these farmer's markets aren't just happening haphazardly, like just whoever shows up with whatever they got. We're good to go. Like, no. There's thought into like, variety. Curation. Sure, there are a lot of well, I'm, not, where that's I'm sure. Well, I'm sure that, that's the way a lot of farmers markets probably start. Is people yeah. just bring whoever bring we stuff. can find. But, but, yeah. but they're not successful if you have a, a limitation on what's there. Right. People expect, you know, like I said, a full shopping basket. If it's all there. radishes and, and leafy greens, then yeah. well, another big challenge for this year yeah. is that we are now responsible for the Lentz International Farmers Market. So as much as we're incredibly thrilled to be taking on that role for the community and for those farmers, there are farmers there, or vendors there that speak about five different languages, Asian languages, Russian, um, mm. Spanish. So that's an exciting challenge for us, something new for us. Um, I'm thrilled to be able to get to know that community a little better. It's in quite a bit of redevelopment. PDC owns a lot of the land there and a lot of new housing and new other developments are going in. So... Um, we're doing everything we can to keep that market really happy and stable through that, that community redevelopment transition. And so what are your main uh, marketing, uh, con- what do you have to do to market? Do, you can't just sit tight and assume that everybody knows about Heck it no. and, and think that it's just going to market itself. <laughs> no. We, probably the biggest machine that we feed is the social media engine. We've got about 50,000 followers on Facebook and Twitter. We've got, I don't remember. And I'm sure you're going to mention uh, Food Podcast PDX. Yeah, we get great there. coverage from food from uh, this show called Right at the Fork. Yes, yeah. there you go. Yeah, so it's awesome. when this runs, you're going every day. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a lot of social media. We do a lot of um, posters and signage. We do a lot of neighborhood advertisements. We pretty much, for our neighborhood markets, try to focus on getting our name and our dates and times 
in front of people in their neighborhood so they know that they can take ownership over their own community market. The PSU market gets a lot of wonderful press from a lot of places. We still try to feed that, of course, but um, it I don't know what the magic is with that. It's just got a reputation that kind of speaks for itself. Yeah, I don't think I think that I think would carry itself. It perpetuates. You don't have to worry about yeah. that. But the so community market. I would imagine does it ever get too crowded where you're not where you'd rather there were fewer people there? No. No. That's not that's not an issue. Where do people find out all the times and all the markets that you that the Portland Farmers Market is a part of, but there are also a lot of them. Is right. there a site that covers all of them? Well, I know yours covers yours. Our site, well, our we do have a list of all the markets, and we we keep that updated because a lot of people think that Portland Farmers Market means every market in the community. We operate operate only seven markets, but at portlandfarmersmarket.org is where people can go to find out the dates and times of our markets, and then we have a link for all the other markets in the region, and we keep that updated as well. Okay, that's it's a good... It's also where people can go to pre-order the cookbook. Oh, right, the cookbook, Portland Farmer's Market Cookbook, written by Ellen Jackson. That's right. Who did a, um, a soundbite for us back in August of 2015. Yeah. About the book? No, not yeah. about the book. She had another cookbook coming out of it. She's talking about savory pastries, I think. That's what it was. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Savory, so you mentioned there are a lot of savory pastries. Maybe that's where she <laughs> where it came from. But, you know, she's got quite a history that I wasn't aware of until I picked up this yeah, book. Yeah. I had no idea she was right back at the beginning of Wildwood. She was, yeah. Which is that in and of itself. Yeah. You know, and then Wildwood, Corey, Corey wrote a nice, Corey Schreiber wrote a nice piece for us in there, too, as he, well as Adam Sappington. Right. Ad, and those are two of the recipes. I can't find these. They have recipes, ears. and then they, one did kind of like a now, and they, um, Corey did a then piece, a little bit of the history in the original right. farm-to-table movement. And then Adam kind of brought that into today and his version of how it's happening. I was reading Corey's, before, and as I was reading it, I thought it was Ellen. And then I realized, <laughs> no, this is Corey. Yep. So Ellen, but Ellen was a part of she Wildwood, was. too. So she they was. were both there. That's why I was confused. But he has a tartine of shaved, beach, shaved baby artichokes mm. here, which and there's another artichoke recipe in here that looks fantastic. And then the one by And the Denoble Farm out of Tillamook uh, Bay. They farm in Tillamook Bay, and they grow... I think that they might be our only grower, actually, of artichokes. Have you ever been out that direction yes. and been on that road in Tillamook where you can get to uh, Bullshit Lane? <laughs> I've not seen Bullshit oh, I've Lane. Oh, I take friends out there because everybody likes the photo op. But there's right. a little street right across from the one of the, I think that's it. One of the artichoke farms on the one of the side oh, roads that goes out. The, the road that goes out to 101 and lets you out at the Fred Meyer. Because there's mm-hmm. two of them. There's mm-hmm. one at the Tillamook Cheese Factory and mm-hmm. then that one. I don't remember the names, but that one has Bullshit Lane on it. It's a great photo op. So. <laughs> and you can go out there and get some great artichokes. Yep. And you know what? That farm, I don't know if it's DeNoble. But they there do is have a, a farm stand. Right. They're, but they just leave the artichokes out, and it's on the honor system. Yep, that's Take it. It's right across. Right, that, That's probably them. Yeah, yeah. that's them. Yeah. So yeah, that's pretty cool. So whenever you go to Telemex, stop by the farm stand. Yeah, and there's a lot to do out that direction. I'm so trying you're looking to find for a recipe? Route. Adam Sappington's, here it is, the green bean salad with blackberries and creamy sweet onions. Mm. That just sounds fantastic. So these are the ones I earmarked that seem fairly simple that I can do. So I got one marked, too. Okay. Should we we do a recipe off? Well, just tell me what you have marked. So I have Greg Higgins uh, marked pan-roasted Chinook salmon with polenta and Rob. I would choose broccoli Rob. I had that one, too. So, you did? Well, I had a bunch of them earmarked, uh, you know, that I looked at and said I'm going to talk about them or ask about them. That was one of them. There are just a lot in this book. How many pages is it? 
275-ish. 275-ish 100 pages. seasonal recipes. And they're all, and they have, here's one uh, by Vitaly Paley, braised, short, braised beef short, short ribs. So this is like a very nice, uh, diverse cookbook that involves all the wonderful farmers and our chefs. You so. mentioned Ruby Jewel earlier. She, uh, Lisa Herlinger has a recipe in here for sweet potato ginger cookie ice cream sandwich. Very nice. There's so many in here. I'm not going to keep doing it, but uh, it's a good, it's a great book to get, and it's available at, of course, Powell's. It's available at Portland Farmers Market and <laughs> at our website. And I really would like people to buy it from us because we will ship it if you'd in like other it words, shipped. Shut up, Chris. No, I mean, it's available on Amazon and Powell's as well. In fact, I'm thrilled that Powell's is really taking it to heart. We've got a a lot of posters there. I'm going to be doing a talk there on June 1st. I love Powell's. And a lot of people would prefer to buy it from us. We make a little more money at it that way. And this is part of the reason we're doing it, to honor all of the chefs and and farmers who have supported us over these 25 years. It's also an income-generating item. I I will not shy from that. No, and and you're right. If they're going to buy it, then... Unless I have a particular reason to want to support Amazon, and I can't imagine that. <laughs> buy if it you're from Powell's. Buy, buy, well, Bezos no. doesn't have enough money. <laughs> he needs a buy new car. all your books from Powell's. It's just stock. Yeah. But no, but I. But again, go down to the farmers market, and is it available at all the farm? All, all your. It will be books? available at all of ours, and it won't. That starts on um, May 25th. Okay, great. Well, get it. And of course, go to the farmers markets. Trudy, are you there? All uh, I, I'm there occasionally. Occasionally, yeah. I try to visit at least each market for a little while every week. A quick question: When you're not there, what are you doing? What do you like to do? You mean just on my own? Yeah. When I'm not life. at work, like writing we a grant really proposal or something. We really get to know you. That I want to, but I can... practice yoga and I walk my dog and. And I you have a dog named Bailey. Backyard. This is. I do. So I had a dog named Bailey yeah. too. Yeah, I have an Australian Shepherd named Bailey, and he's he's a sweetheart. How old? He's six and a half. Very nice. Well, good. And you don't care about taking him to the farmer's market? I don't because he's not hes not a city jo- dog. I mean, he wants to go for a hike out in the woods. That's his thing. Yeah. So I Mine like going with likes everything. Him. He likes to, he loves to be a part of the process. But thank you so much for coming. My Appreciate pleasure. It. I had a good time. Yeah, no, you were, we had a good time too. Did you have a good time? Too? I had a good time. Yeah. I did, yes. <laughs> Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Intro music by Ariel Varinas. Find links to her music in the show notes section. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com.